Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're going to talk about innovation and the challenges of integration at the enterprise level, especially in K-12 schools. Our guest today, you may know him best from the former chancellor of the New York City Department of Education, and he now oversees the education branch of News Corps called Amplify, a venture dedicated to reimagining K-12 education by creating digital products and services that empower teachers, students, and parents in a new way. If you haven't guessed who it is, it's Joel Klein. Welcome back to Harvard, Mr. Klein. Great to be with you, Matt. So, Joel, in the early 70s, you were a newly minted Harvard Law grad, about to go on to work in government and business and law and now education. Did a 1970s Joel Klein know he would one day catch the education bug? Not entirely. In 1970, when I got out of 1971, I got out of Harvard Law School. I actually thought I would be a lawyer and that would be my career uh, choice. Lots of things in life come upon you in an unpredicted way, and one of them was the way I ended up working in the Clinton White House, which really changed the arc of my career, and that led me to the Justice Department. And at that point, I was really in the middle of what was the beginning of the Internet boom. And so my interest shifted dramatically. I had felt like I had practiced law at the high, highest levels, and my interest became media and technology. So I went to Bertelsmann, a German media company, and it turned out the guy who had hired me was at that point at an arc in his own career. It was a private company, and he was on his way out about a year and a half after. At just the time, the mayor got control of the schools, and my passion as a citizen, but not in terms of my career, had always been K-12. K-12 education changed my own life, Matt, and I have a deep belief that it is really profoundly important to the country and that it's not working the way it should be. So it was really in some ways fortuitous that I was in New York at that time uh, going through a career change of my own when the mayor took control of the schools. Now it's my thing. I think your story of why you are passionate about K-12 education, especially public education, I've, I've read about your story. But I think our viewers and listeners would love to hear why you care so deeply about this, as you said, as a citizen. So I care about it in two senses. First is a citizen because I believe that it's so essential. It's the glue that holds America together. And for the first really 80 years of the 20th century, we did it masterfully. We increased the number of kids who successfully went through high school. We increased the kids going to college. And we created the largest middle class ever. And the American dream had always had a certain myth dimension to it, but it had a reality dimension to it. And you know, for me, what made that possible for many kids was education. Kids who were not born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Kids whose parents, many of whom came from other countries here to America. Why? They wanted more opportunity, better chance for their kids, and they were willing to work hard to support that. But that was all made possible by kids being able to get an education. In the late part of the 20th century and now in the 21st century, we're seeing less and less of that, and more and more the middle class is getting hollowed out. A lot of reasons for that, but one key reason is is we're failing to educate our kids at the level we need. So the kind of society we are really depends on a deep belief that a kid from no place, so to speak, can go any place, so to speak. And education, to me, is the magic ingredient. It's not the only ingredient. Families matter, and a lot of things matter. But education is a magic ingredient in the American dream, and I think it's broken down. In a very personal way, for me, it was not just as a citizen, but as a human being. I had grown up in public housing in a family where nobody went to college, and really, teachers in Astoria, Queens, inspired me to think that I could go 
any place, and, and that was because they would get me the education that enabled me to do that. And I've lived a remarkable life as a result of the fact that teachers didn't quit on me, didn't say, well, this is a kid from public housing or a kid who grew up in a family where nobody gone to college, nobody read, never took me to a museum growing up. So in all of that, I have both a deep personal and a deep view as a citizen about the role of education, its importance to the society we are, and the fact that, quite frankly, I don't think we are where we need to be now. You're a doer on so many different accounts and so many different sectors, and, and, and I'm curious, what makes it getting things done more difficult in education than, say, other sectors or other branches? I think it's often getting things done if you want to change a status quo can be difficult. You see that in lots of areas. We're trying to find intelligent policies uh, in terms of health care in America and trying to change the way we do things. There's enormous resistance and pushback. And that's because status quos don't just emerge. They are developed in a way to serve various needs. And those needs mean that people benefit from an existing status quo and are reluctant to see a change. So you get the pushback and the fighting and all the issues. If you don't want to change it, you know, I've always thought if you take over a corporation that's running really well and simply move it to a next level, it's a very different kind of a thing than to try and change, transform, and really do things very differently. So you'll always have defenders of the status quo. Machiavelli, I hate to quote Machiavelli, sounds so Machiavellian to do that, but Machiavelli said long ago, you know, anybody who proposes a new world order, so to speak, is going to be challenged by the defenders of the status quo, which already has its winners that will protect it. Whereas a new order, people don't know who the winners are and who the losers are. And so you don't have your champions for the new order. And that, that takes, I think, a leadership and, as you said, a willingness to be a doer. And I always think about it, and it's so important, and I wish we'd all listen to it over and over again, is Theodore Roosevelt's great speech called The Man in the Arena, which today would be the man or the woman in the arena, but who really points out in his speech, and it's not the critic who counts, who points out where the strong person you know, failed or fell down. Because there is no great success without setbacks and without, you know, striving mightily. And I think we're at a point in our society where people really want to criticize and we need more doers and fewer critics. Not that there shouldn't be critics, don't get me wrong, but we need doers and people who can lead and transform and take on the tough challenges. And if we're going to get through the challenges we face as our country, that's critical. You have a great quote where you said, um, there's always been sort of resistance to change. You wrote, the Candlemakers Union was cheer wasn't, wasn't cheering on Edison, you now leading an education private sector company. What are the challenges that you're, that you're receiving uh, on the actual implementation of the, of the thoughts and the ideas that you're making? Well, the great news is a lot of schools are welcoming us. We're going to be piloting both our platform and our curriculum, which I think would be very exciting, and I want people to see it. We're platform, we're going to you know, pilot it and see or what works. The resistances you get are kind of a couple of things. One can change, you know, a different way to do things. Sal Khan sees this to some degree with the Khan Academy. There are other programs out there that are doing new, bold, innovative things, Dreambox and others. And, you know, just you're used to doing things if every day you walk down the same street, make the same right turn to get to the same place. When you say to somebody, well, just go in the other direction to get there, you know, to some degree it just doesn't sit so well. The other challenges are the whole role of for-profit institutions in the education space, and I can understand people want to make sure that this is for the benefit of the education 
world enough for the benefit of the for-profit world. But I think the way you get effective capital flow is to incentivize people to put big money into uh, big things like the Googles and the Apples and the Facebooks and so forth. And the other resistance is just to make sure that we get it right, that, you know, implementation can really matter in these things and getting things implemented effectively so that teachers are excited, teachers embrace it, students welcome it. Those are the core challenges. I think we'll do well at that. I think the products we're developing, at least the ones we have seen from teachers and students who've worked with them, there's enormous excitement and buzz, and I think I think they will get real traction. Yeah, if you go to Amplify's website, there's all sorts of fantastic new products. I'm curious, Joe, what would be what would be your elevator pitch to someone to sort of take on some of the new products from Amplify? So my elevator pitch, which has got to be longer than an elevator ride, is basically two core things. Number one, we all admit. K-12 education needs to improve. We're, nobody's out there saying, this is great, let's just keep going where we are. So we know we need change, and we need it in a significant and serious way. And the second part of our elevator pitch is, let's try to innovate. After all, what's the thing that keeps the American economy going at, at roiling speed and moving forward? And that is, innovation. You know, for all that's going on in the world, all the challenges with China and so forth, it's the American companies that are doing the Googles and the Squares and the Facebooks and the Twitters and so forth. Why don't we bring that entrepreneurial, innovative spirit into an area that needs it? I mean, the two biggest challenges we probably have in the country right now are education and healthcare, and they're the two areas that have least been affected by the digital revolution. And I think about how our lives have changed. I mean, we, I remember when people thought Amazon, where are you gonna go buy a book on Amazon? You can go to Barnes and Noble. You know, that world is changing dramatically. Why not K to 12, where we need it so much? Why not healthcare, where we could benefit so much? You know, I've worked in education long enough where I hear, oh, um, if something's new coming out, hitting the market, education will get it 15 years later, 10 years later. Why do people have this mindset, and why is there such a delay for something that's new and innovative to take such a long time to get to education, and then how can Amplify change that? Well, the, the reason, the answer to your first question, which is exactly right, why does it take so long? I mean, why are we... Over the last 100 years, there's barely any change in our classroom practice. And that's because I think the system is kind of tightly sealed, doesn't really like to partner with outsiders, likes to keep internal control, and a real sense that innovation will mean doing things differently, changing the way we do things. Not every innovation will succeed, but that kind of culture is not built into it. And in some parts, I think that's because it's not a competitive culture. I mean, when you see what's going on in post-secondary right now with, you know, Education X and Coursera and Udacity and Tudor, I mean, there's so much more going on out there in part because the post-secondary world is a much more competitive world. You know, even Harvard has to compete to get students. And so that didn't take place in K-12. And when you don't compete, you tend not to innovate. In fact, Steve Jobs made a big point at Edison. Probably Jobs is the greatest American innovator in the last 50 years, and yet he used to say the problem with education is there's no incentive to innovate and there's no reward for innovation. And so you've got to create that kind of environment. I thought it was always very interesting that Al Shanker, who is an iconic teachers union leader, who I think has written some of the most thoughtful and far-sighted visions of how to transform the system, used to say, he said, the K-12 system runs like a planned economy. And we know planned economies 
don't work, and planned economies have no incentive to really innovate, disrupt, and change. So one of the important books was written by a Harvard professor up here called Disrupting Class by Clay Christensen. And that's what we need to do. And how Amplify can do that, Amplify will be one of many. How do we do it? By using technology to do the routine things that teachers do so that teachers can do the real value add that only human capital can do. By enabling people to organize, to do their work much more efficiently and effectively. To be able to do things in a longer day and longer year by using a tablet or computer to extend the learning cycle. Many, many kids in New York City and throughout this country just need more time. And those schools that are getting more time, now we can't necessarily do it all inside the school. So these are the things that technology could do. I mean, you think about the number of people today who are using Sal Khan's Academy and taking lessons, some of them flipping the classroom where they do the instruction at home and the project work and the discussion work and other work inside the uh, school. There's so much we can do here. Customization, I, I mean, this used to drive me nuts. I'd see a teacher in a class and she'd have a couple of kids, uh, some kids who were a couple of years behind, some kids who were on grade, and some kids who were ahead. How does she get all of them working? Well, technology can help you. There are times when you can be driving on a kid's computer or tablet lessons, projects for groups. They can have a social network who are working on an advanced level while other kids are working at grade level and other kids are being remediated. Why not take advantage of that? And I think for Amplify, we're going to be right in the sweet spot. We're making an exciting set of investments because we believe that there's great capacity here to really do well to transform it. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. It has to work for teachers and it has to work for kids. If it doesn't work for them, it won't work. They've got to embrace it, make it happen. Yeah. And last question, Mr. Klein. Measuring results. You know, at the student level, at the teacher level, at the you know district level, what what is what is the sort of benchmark that Amplify is putting out there that you will be happy with the educational attainment results and gains of your products? So first of all, we ha I thought you were going to ask the antecedent question: How do you measure? Because we're going through a phase now where people are challenging standardized tests. Under federal law right now in the United States, and this is true in the uh, Bush administration and in the Obama administration, we still measure based on standardized testing. I'm hoping we'll get better tests. And what if we do, more and more people will come to say, yeah, improvement really matters. Even now, there's no question, when you see kids in Boston performing at a higher level than kids in Detroit in the same exact cohort, you know, poor minority kids, that really matters. But I think as the testing gets more robust, that will matter. And in that respect, what I want to see is Amplify outperforming in its classrooms what people are doing in other classrooms with comparable kids facing the same challenges. So I think Amplify coupled with a teacher getting better results than a teacher by herself. And, and that's where I think you start to see the value add. And the metrics, you know, I would hope will be robust, meaning not just slightly better. The kind of thing we saw, for example, in New York, we created 300 new small high schools to replace 60 that we phased out. And those 300 new small high schools, in a double-blind study done by a very respectable research organization, MBRC, got almost 10 points higher graduation rates across every cohort. That's the kind of change that I think K-12 really needs, and I hope Amplify can facilitate. Mr. Klein, thanks for coming today, and we like to particularly thank our guests uniquely, and you're a New Yorker, right? We wanted to make sure that you felt at home. Here are 
two slices of Boston's uh, attempt at being New York pizza. So those are for you to enjoy before your talk today. Did you know I'm a pizza freak? I did not know you were a pizza freak. I, but uh, I, it's funny. I was just talking to Roland Fryer, who's a professor up here. We were talking about you were telling me about a great pizzeria. But in New York, I am. Uh, they did a full-page story about me and pizza places. Oh. So thank you. For well, I missed that. Well, the, you you will pick up that slice and it will flop over, and you'll feel like you're back in Queens. Thank you very much. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. That's Joel Klein opening his pizza. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.